0: Very glad that you're with us this morning at Genesis as we continue, uh, begin a series. Uh, all fall is going to feel a little different. We just got out of the Book of Judges this summer. We did two weeks on giving and generosity, and now we are doing a series called "One Another," God's heart for all of us. What does God have for His church? And if you're not in a community group, I would encourage you to consider it for sure. Um, we have opportunities around and how we. Four groups, you can go to the community group wall at the end of the service, and if you haven't bought your curriculum yet, you can. We have two available copies of that, and if we fill it up, I will buy more. So most people have gotten their curriculum for the study, and we will kind of march on along. So there are two left. You can order that in the Church Center app. But what we're doing all fall, just so you know, and I'll say this a lot, and you'll be like, Hans, this sounds like a broken record. We are preaching these ideas, but what we're going to do is take usually the passage of that the main idea is on and kind of broaden out so we understand where that passage is coming from and you're going to be in your groups throughout the week. I think we have groups on Sundays and Tuesdays, maybe Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, but um, our groups throughout the week will be discussing those using the, the curriculum that is all about our emphasis on care and how do we, how do, we do this. Now I'll start by talking about my first small group experience in Baton Rouge. My one in Dallas was different. It was good. Uh, my one in Baton Rouge where you kind of get into a new town and you're, you know, you're expecting your first child. And you're a pastor on staff, so you, you got to lead one. At least when you first get there, which was always kind of my rule. So came here, did the same thing for a run. But I'm thinking of those relationships. And we were together 12 to 18 months. Maybe a hair longer. Uh, but one family were newlyweds. And in veterinarians, veterinary school, LSU has a good vet school, a good vet hospital, and so they were doing that. I followed up with them. Courtney's followed up with them recently. They've adopted, I don't know, a whole parcel of children. They're both practicing vets in Lafayette, Louisiana. And just in the past couple of months, some other dear friends we have from the same church realized they go to church in Lafayette with this family, and so it's like, you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but just with the Gugger family um, is what that is. So very cool to have people from different seasons of my life at the same church, now at a different church together. And they're like, yeah, we had dinner. They were great. I was like, I know they're great. They're awesome. One family, a vet and a physician, like they just both wanted to, like, well, I'll take care of people and you take care of the animals. That's what they did. And the physician takes a a time doing ministry and medical care amongst uh, poor places in the states. I think that's that's his heart, and that was his heart when I met him 14 years ago. He's in his his wife's heart still. It's just care for people who don't have good access to medical care. Uh, One family was on Campus Crusade staff, and they still are. They've kind of moved around since then. One family was a young believer and his wife who was an occupational therapist. We still keep in touch. I still pray for this guy quite regularly. We talk about all kinds of stuff. He's also, when I talk about my horticulture guy, he's my horticulturist, culturalist, where I go, hey, my grass is dying. What do I do? And he's just like, let it die. So he's really helpful. Um, It was cool because he had a Catholic background and and. We were doing baptisms one Sunday, and he, 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 didn't, he no longer wanted to identify himself as, as his Catholic baptismal regeneration guy, and so he actually chose to be baptized as a believer. He wanted to take that step and identify in that way, but he told nobody but his wife. So when it came time to prepare for the baptisms, he like brings his stuff and sneaks out. His whole small group, which he was now, he and his wife are now leading one, were all there, and they're like, what? What just happened? Because he snuck away, and then oh, there he is in front of everybody getting baptized, which is really cool. Now, you may just be thinking I'm hitting home runs, right? Like, I know how to pick them, just like Jesus. And so, really like to have winners in my group. Uh, One family honestly didn't make it. There was an affair, and there was another family started from that family in the wrong kinds of ways. Uh, A lot of pain that happened in that, and a lot of attempted intervention and counseling, you know, a spouse to be like, no, you hold on to this marriage. Don't let it go. Honor Jesus in it, and you're just doing this and this and this, and like it just exhaustion wore them out. And so that was in my first 18 months. Um, ups and downs, highs and lows. And I don't really. I mean, we can always get nostalgic about maybe our first small group experience at our first church, or our first experience at it when we we're in college, or our first experience when we move somewhere. That is all pretty. You know, it's, it's really good. But what we're trying to do as a church family is go, well, God has this for everybody. Every local church he has ways that he wants his people to live and to operate and to care and to serve. And we can't always recreate old relationships. Sometimes that's what we try to do is we try to go, well, man, I wish I could just harness that thing when none of us had children And, like, we could go on vacations together and go to, like, you know, my buddy who I baptized, his parents, we had family property in the bayou where you have to take a boat to get to it, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, you have to pull, hey, park over here, we'll pull the boat up, and then you got to go take a boat another half a mile to get to whatever it is. Uh, You flush the toilet, and you're like, where's where's this going? Um, And then you go fishing. And you go, oh. Uh, So, like, like. We had a great experience. Our life stage was different. At that time, we were the only ones who were expecting, and then all the other kids start showing up, and so now I don't know how many kids exist from that. It feels like a million. If we all got back together in the same place, the house couldn't hold us, and we would probably have a very difficult time even trying to Jenga our schedule in such a way that we could get two or three free hours together. So we need a little bit of grace to recognize that life changes. Life changes for us, but one thing that is true is God has put, at least for this moment, right here, right now, you're all here. We're all here. And so, in whatever way God is building something at Genesis, in its current iteration, now you may not be a member, this may be your first Sunday, this may be your only Sunday. You're like, I'm out. What I want to say to you, and what I hope this whole series can do for us, is recognize that there is... a a significant amount of joy that exists for us when we simply commit to be all in with the body of believers. There is a joy that exists for us when we simply commit to be all in. And we're not all in with parameters where we go, yeah, well you have to preach in this way and the service has to be this long and you have to sing these songs and you have to offer these ministries and if you don't offer those ministries and all of these things that become our menu of expectations when we show up at a local church. And when we do that, we are essentially kind of opting ourselves out of meaningful fellowship because we already come in front-loaded with how everything has to go. The problem is if you come in front-loaded with how everything has to go, when it inevitably changes because Patrick leaves. I mean, I was talking to Joey, uh, Joey at lunch this week, and he's like, yeah, we showed up and we committed to Genesis, and then the next week Patrick said he was leaving. I think Brad and Jen had a similar experience where it's like, man, we really, we really feel like this is our place. Cool. I guess, I guess Patrick, who was the preacher before me, uh, I, guess, I guess we'll figure out what happens next. And so you, set, you settle into what one expectation is going to be, and then within seven days, that's gone. If we front-load our expectations, we'll be disappointed when the chemistry changes. When a leader leaves or a leader goes, when a friend leaves, when a friend goes, when our, when we have a really tough conversation with a staff member or a friend or a group member or we get called out for something or we feel like we need to address something with somebody else, whenever that changes, we can always feel like, well, maybe it's time to go. But really good things can happen when you just throttle forward. There's great joy when you commit. The first idea that we have in this is just kind of setting us up for what's to come. We have a lot of one another's all fall kind of carrying us all the way into Thanksgiving. We have a lot of those to cover, a lot of energy around what it all means. I'm already being challenged as I prepare these sermons, but we start just, just, just. we're going to dip our toes in the water week one, and then we're quickly going to descend into an ocean of what God expects from all his church. Why why is it hard for us to commit to a local church? There are all kinds of reasons. A lot of the reasons are about us our own hurts, our own expectations, our own longings, our own baggage that we bring to the table. A lot of them are about us. But what we want to do today is see a few things. What is the predominant expectation that Jesus has for us? How is that even possible in how we relate to one another? And then, what is that challenge Paul gives for what he would love to see specifically the Philippian church doing? So we'll be in three different passages. We'll be in the Gospel of John, the letter to the Ephesians, and the letter to the Philippians. We're going to start with this idea. It's not new for us. We've preached this, and we're going to talk about it again next week. But love is our disposition. It is the posture that we should have toward those in our believing family. Just without question, that should be the posture. We see this specifically and directly in Jesus in the upper room with the disciples in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. The command to love is not new. The command to love as Christ did is by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus sets it up. He's Wash the disciples' feet, he's demonstrated, John 13 actually begins with, he loved them to the end, which is showing how he's moving to the cross to die for their sins, and he steps in in John 13, cleansing the disciples' feet, serving them, stooping and saying, this is how the world's going to know you belong to me, if you love as I have loved you. The world produces all kinds of counterfeit love, all kinds of counterfeit warm fuzzies. We still, we can still do that. I was tearing up watching a Planet of the Apes movies this past weekend. Like I was like, you know, like like they're feeding Caesar and they're all putting their hands in the air, apes strong together, and I'm like, I'm like, this is not even real. It's CGI people, and I'm crying. Because it it just does something. Ever since I've seen Sister Act 2 in high school, I cry at movies. (laughs) And There's all kinds of ways the world can reproduce warm fuzzies. The world can't reproduce God dying for our sins and saying, you need to love like this. You need to love like this. I talk about this a lot because church life so often feels like an awkward junior high dance. Now, most of us homeschool here, uh, and the school my kids go to, would, I don't know if they'd ever have a junior high dance. But for those public schoolers who grew up public school, me and Matt and anybody else, like ride or die. Thank you, Jacob. You too, huh? Uh, so <laughs> you remember the moment where like, you're, you're, you're like, well, who asks who? And you're just kind of wallflower sitting to the side going, well, am I going to go talk to them? Or they, like all this waiting for movement. And I feel like church life is often the same. Jesus gave his disciples a command to love. The command was not, as we often interpret it, wait until somebody shows you love. We are much better at reciprocating what somebody gives to us. If you're kind to me, I'll be kind to you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's the world's way. What's in it for me? So we recognize that kind of reciprocal relationship. But a transactional relationship is actually not the relationship Jesus has demonstrated toward us. The reason that we can love, because God doesn't need our love, In that sense, he's not sitting there going, please love me, like he's incomplete without us. But because we have received love from God, we are then able to love others. The way in which we realize and, and demonstrate that we belong to God, and we'll go into this in more depth next week, is that we've seen how God has loved us in Christ, and we can offer that to others. We don't sit around and go, love me, love me, say that you love me, and then I'll love you. We don't do that, but that is what we expect. We expect, and so I'll hear these kinds of critiques and comments in church life where it's like, well, no one talked to me, and I'll go, did you talk to anybody? Well, no, but no one talked to me. I'm like, well, what are you waiting for? You have the same word I have. You have the same spirit I have. Sometimes you're just going to have to have a conversation with somebody. I remember one time a guy left a church I was pastoring, and he got mad that nobody followed up with him because something, there, was, there was an illness in the family. I said, did he even tell us there was an illness in the family? Are we just supposed to be omniscient? Like, 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 like how, how, how we? I don't know everything. Oh well, if you had a group leader who knew what was going on with them, and they could go up the train, that, that might be true, sure. But like, if you're gonna exist in isolation, and they get mad at the church, right? that's what we always do. It usually means the guy speaking that something didn't happen. Well, how am I supposed to know? I, I, I I'm not the Lord. And so I just need awareness, and then we can, I can pray for you, I can care for you, I can talk with you, but I can't guess. I'm limited in my knowledge and capacity. And so in church life, we wait around, even though love is, should be our disposition, the way we move toward one another. And there might be all kinds of reasons that we do it. We have our hurts, we have our fears, and we have, I was talking to my son this morning about it. Um, he wasn't going to be here today, so I made him listen to Dad's sermon. We talked through my notes. I said, all right, hey, here we go. What are one of the reasons that we have a hard time doing this? And he said, you know, you just don't like people or you don't want to. And I was like, selfishness, absolutely. We just, we just get self-absorbed in everything. And we still kind of craft church around our experiences. It misses the command Jesus gave. Love others As I have loved you. Next week, when we get more in depth into the idea of how we love others, we're actually going to see John say, "This isn't a new command." Like he's he's like, "You know it now. You you recognize this. You're a church. You've been changed by Jesus, and so love should be what you do." And then he gives some hows. That's what we'll go into next week. It's easy for us to think about our relationship with God. And go oh yeah god loves me god's for me this is great right like if if our god is for us what can stand against all those things we sing but there are two relationships that jesus changes you can talk about it in the vertical and the horizontal aspects the two relationships jesus changes he changes our relationship with god the father through faith and thus all through faith have had their relationship with one another changed two things happen at conversion in that regard we are made right with God through the work of Jesus and we are brought together sometimes the way that I I put it is like as we all move toward Jesus together we actually we the horizontal get closer together we don't go farther apart one of the passages that talks about this so clearly this ability how do we even do this how do we have the capacity to do this is because God is building us together into something. He's actually doing something through the horizontal relationships of all who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus. We read this in Ephesians chapter two. There's a cool thing about Ephesians, this is just Ephesians trivia for you. There is no rebuke. I mean, so often epistles have some kind of rebuke in them, some kind of, hey, I see that you're struggling here. I see, like, get this thing right. We'll have plenty of those as we go throughout the fall. But there is no, no big rebuke to the Ephesians. Paul seemed to really love this church. He had a deep relationship with the leadership at the Ephesian church. He invested a lot of time in Ephesus. Acts chapter 20 is prayer for the Ephesian elders. He was committed to that place. And we read in verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2 of Ephesians just this thing. Now, now it's, there's a lot here. If you want my really long paper on it, I can send it to you. But it's really, I wrote it a long time ago. It's probably not that good. But if you want it, you can have it. But listen to what he says. He's talking about Jewish and Gentile relationships. These are both uh, racial relationships, and these are both religious relationships. These are cultural relationships. You're putting oil and, and water together into the same church, okay? Like, you have a different background. It's all there, and the Gentiles are bringing the oil, and the Jews are bringing the water, and you just put that together into a pot, and Paul's trying to explain it's not oil and water. There's, there's a new thing going on here that, that God is building, and so he says this, Therefore, remember, he's talking to the Gentiles, that you, Gentiles, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So, the Jewish part of your church is calling you the uncircumcision, and it's made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, before your salvation, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, resulting in no hope and no God in this world. So he starts by just, remember all of these relationships that have been non-existent for you prior to Christ. Remember what you have not had. It is, like, it's good to remember what life was like before Christ because in the right perspective, it results in greater worship of Jesus because we recognize more of what he has done for us. Remember all of these severed relationships. Now look at what Jesus has done. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the mechanism for being brought near, the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one, speaking now of Jews and Gentiles, made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That would likely be the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So Jesus, through his work, has broken down the dividing law, I would say, by abolishing the law and making that not a requirement, not a dividing point anymore. If you remember Acts chapter 15 and the discussion they have at the Jerusalem Council, it's a great chapter to read where they're trying to debate, do Gentiles need to get circumcised? And the end result is, you know what? No, we can't even follow. Like, good Jews can't follow the law perfectly. How do we think they're going to be able to do it? Spirit comes through faith. Faith is what changes. We cannot put the law upon them with any kind of expectation that they would be able to follow it in any meaningful way. So Paul is just, again, reiterating essentially that idea. Jesus has brought us together by abolishing the commandment. Now he is our peace. He has brought us together and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby... Killing the hostility. What did Jesus do? He came and preached peace to you who are far off, the Gentile, and he came and preached peace to you who are near, the Jew. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. A nice little Trinitarian salvation line. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's the vertical relationship being made right, but you see the horizontal aspects right there as well. We are brought together. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I believe those to be New Testament apostles and prophets doing unique work about the gospel message with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Anybody here, not by show of hands, just by show of heart, anybody here struggle with ever feeling worthy to be used by God for anything? Where you just kind of go, oh, golly, I just... You don't know my stuff, you don't know my life, you don't know my struggles, you don't know my issues, you, you, just, you just don't know. And you know what? I don't. I don't know your stuff. You don't know mine. I'll confess to you a good bit if we get on a good relationship, but I'm still probably not going to go all the way there because I don't even know it. There are times, true story, there are times where perhaps I do something, maybe I'm talking to Michael and I say something rude and I don't remember in the moment, and I feel convicted by it, and then I get to the end of the day, and I'm like, man, I'm still feeling bugged. I'm not really sure why anymore. I'll seriously just be like, you know what? When I wake up in the morning, I won't feel this way anymore. <laughs> I'll be good. And so, like, Because that's how dense I am at times about my own sin. I just go, well, whatever, whatever I feel bad about, I know I'm forgiven. And when I wake up in the morning, if God brings it to mind, great. And if not, I'll just keep on moving. Like I don't even know the full capacity of my sin. I don't even know the full consequences of my sin. I don't even know all the issues that exist because of my sin, but I don't have to because I know what Jesus is doing and I know what he has done. That he has brought us together. Now, that's a really hard thing because we all don't like each other. Like, we, well, like you, know, you see somebody who shows up and you're just like, Lord, please don't. I, I pray they're not members. I pray that they can find another church where they don't have to be uh, with me. Don't tell me you've never thought that, where you go, that's going to be weird. You know, I'm not sure what we're going to do. I know you might be some holy rollers up in here, but in general, we have that part of our flesh that just goes, I kind of like what I like. I don't like adjustment. I like my circle. I like my pocket, and I like my people. And if you bring certain people in, it's going to be bad. I've sat at tables where one guy's comments in court resulted in the other guy's company not getting a big settlement. Same church, same people. Like, awkward, right? Awkward turtle. Like, that is. I, you, what do you do with that? We're sitting around the table trying to come to some kind of solution together, and very often, because of human hearts, it becomes so hard for us to see the Ephesians 2 reality that exists for us that we just go, that's too much, I'm out. I can't do it. Who wins there? Not us. Not the Lord. It is so hard for us to be together. And I'm not saying there isn't some opportunity God might give for you to go serve in another place, in another way, another time. Like, I'm not saying any of those things. But just so often, we're at the center of our church experience and not the Lord. And it becomes very hard to go, God is building something together through people he has changed that we actually have a part to play in this place being built up as a local expression of what Jesus is doing in the world. We have an opportunity together by his spirit to be built up into something that God is orchestrating. God is orchestrating. I'm not orchestrating it. I don't sit in the back. I can't. I can't even get my kids to get up in time. I can't. Let alone hang with you and get you to do something, like I, God is orchestrating it. He's changed the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship. And very often we've said this a lot now, it's kind of be a repeated phrase. Very often, horizontal problems have a vertical solution, and here's what I mean. When we are crossways with others, it is likely because of something that we are not accurately or in that moment applying about what God has done for us. It is, it is something that has to do with, with where we are and not very often something that has to do with where God is. He's unchanging. And so if I've moved or I feel different, it's, it's probably me, not the Lord. And so when that happens in church life where we feel maybe crossways with a brother or a sister we have to first look to the Lord and ask ourselves what what am i maybe misunderstanding what am i misapplying what do i not know what am i not seeing here why is this so hard help me and you know what we often need in a moment like that someone else We need someone else who will help us put those pieces in a better order. As you would say to your kids, that's stinking thinking, right? You can't, that's the wrong way to think. And you need somebody in your life at times, or many somebodies, to come and put those pieces together in a better way for you to understand maybe your role in the issue how you're misunderstanding God in that moment, what he's done for you, and that will help you to better orient yourself to your faith family. God has changed both dimensions. And in order to continue to understand the horizontal horizontal dimension, which Paul was trying to help them to see, he had to explain what God did for them. He's brought you together and he's building you into one temple, one place where God dwells by his spirit. He's changed both of those. Church hurts a real thing, right or wrong or indifferent, whether you like it or not. I have a trail of people that I have hurt. I have a trail of people who have hurt me. You probably have the same thing. Guess what? We're not all that different. The difference comes, and if that's going to be what we mark church life out as. I have seen at times people who just give up on church because believers are hard to be around. Shocker, you're hard to be around. Like, 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 like and, and so we have all of these things that we do where we go, well, I just, you know, the, I'm fine with Jesus, but I hate the church. You really can't do that. Jesus is seen through the church. And it's even odd to think about when you look at Ephesians 2, but if somebody is making themselves exist outside of the church family, what are they doing? But taking, like, you're, it's like you're putting together the Legos if you're a kid. And you're like, I don't know where that brick is. And it's like, well, that brick decided to go outside, go down the sewer. Like, that's where they are. We actually need to be together to be able to do and be built up like God wants us to be built up. Now, I still have great confidence. That's existed forever. My confidence is what Jesus is doing through his church. Even when we fail, even when we struggle, even when we, like, all of those things. When we get offended and we don't deal with it the right way and we go sideways with it, I still have confidence in what. God is building with His church because this is ultimately something God is bringing to its fullest fulfillment. Like he's the one that's getting it to where it needs to go, and so I you know I don't I don't even have to say, like I said, joked uh, recently, like Jesus take the wheel. He already has it. Like he's not going to let us. He's not going to let us mess with it to the point that that church isn't getting where it needs to go, because he's the sovereign, he's the authority, and he cares about it more than we do. But at the same time, we have a role. The command that Jesus gives is to love. The capacity to even do that love comes through the Lord Jesus and making us right with God. And then from that, we can recognize that we are built together with one another. There is, though, as I said, that verse in the letter to the Philippians, another letter that is just great. I like Philippians because it seems like Paul gets lost halfway through and says, finally, twice twice. It's always nice. I love that the spirit seemed to inspire Paul's forgetfulness. And so he's like, finally, brothers. And then he starts talking about all kinds of other stuff. You ever been talking to a friend and you go, okay, so back to the first point. Where were we on that? And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. I, like, and you have to get back on. Like, it seems like that happens in Philippians where he's just so enamored with talking to them that he goes down this road and has to get back on it. There are other reasons I like Philippians too. Uh, but I love the letter to the Philippians and one thing that the Apostle Paul says, and this is what you'll be looking at in your groups this week, is this language. He says, only let your manner of life be the way in which you live. Be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, serving side by side, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Now, why that passage? Why here and why now? Paul has this way in his writing, which is so parental, where he kind of says, here's what I'd like you to be doing. But he also says, but I can't make you. And so he paints his heart for how he wants this church to act. He paints this heart for them, and he says, here's what I would love to see, so that whether I'm with you or not, I can have confidence that you're acting in a certain way, a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's go back to verse twenty-seven, recognizing that God's word is for all of God's people. Let's go back here for a moment, and now let's let's imagine us hearing this in Philippi, okay? And like so, let's just time machine. We're now back in there. You have your business with people. You have your tensions. You have your issues. People aren't getting along. People are tired. People are hungry. People are angry. All of those things are happening in the same room and you've maybe walked into the gathering frustrated about something your spouse said, frustrated about something your kids did or didn't do, frustrated about the fact that it just didn't go according to plan, frustrated that something didn't happen right on the stage, frustrated that something didn't happen right in your life, frustrated about how Saturday went, whatever it is, I doubt we're all coming in here on, like, the highest of highs. So you're in this room together, and somebody stands up, and they read this Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I bet if you take 30 seconds, you can go, here are two ways that I know I have not been either rightly believing or rightly living recently. Let's recalibrate. Let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He gives the reason so that whether I come and see you or in absence, I may hear that you are Look at the list. Standing firm in one spirit. That would be on the truth of the gospel message. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Likely to mean, because we're talking about opponents, standing side by side for what is true about what Jesus has done for you. Not believing those who are coming in to try and change what you might believe change how salvation could be found. Not believing those, but I could see that you're striving and contending. Well, that kind of makes it sound a little bit, you know, if we're back in Philippi, like there's kind of an expectation for us to have struggle in the Christian life. There's an understanding that that's going to be a part of what goes on. There are relational struggles, there are doctrinal struggles, there are There are all kinds of struggles that exist, and that it's not about removing those struggles, but it's about recognizing their proper place, which is way below how we see the Lord. And as we align our sight better for the Lord, it results downstream in better heart, better behavior toward one another. So you're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them, if you are acting in this way, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. That what they teach is false and what it does harms and does not give life. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that's from God. When we press in Throttle forward, whatever words I've used thus far. When we just say, these are my people. And I take them with all their flaws and all their issues, all their frustrations. We do that and we just go, I'm in. It drastically changes how we live. I'll give you an example in my own life of how this can be hard from the position of the professional Christian, okay? I know we're not all professional Christians. It takes a special kind of person. Um, I, there, there weren't enough chuckles there. I didn't mean it. <laughs> I understand that, and, and so you can, and I pray this for myself regularly. You can pray for it for me as well, especially when your church isn't as large as you know, you, maybe you want it to be just in your mind. If you say the wrong thing or you offend the wrong person, I'm telling you, Matt, what do you think about? If you offend the wrong person, what do you, what do you think about? Where are they going? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, see ya. I mean, it's like, it's only a matter of time. Like, that's what we do. We go, oh, gosh, I sang that song, I did that thing, I had this conversation, right? Like, we, it, it just, we have those feelings. It exists where you just go, golly, I mean, they're, they're teetering, they're on the edge, right? Like, like, I don't even have to make a list. You just kind of have it in your head, sometimes pastorally. Well, what does that do, right? Is that a man-centered way of living in church life, or is that a God-centered way? It's a pretty easy answer. It's man-centered, because I have to then look at my own behavior, my own communication, my own conversations, and go, oh, gosh, I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't whatever. I hope I didn't offend. I hope I didn't say. I hope I didn't step on any toes. I hope I didn't do that, because we're going to lose people. If you lose the wrong people, you lose the budget. You lose the budget, you lose your job. You lose your job, you lose your house, you lose your house, you lose respect, you lose respect. all of those things that can exist within us. If I really step in, if I really say this, if I really do that, we have all of these barriers that can exist between us and just stepping in. The longer we are in churches, I don't know why this happens, but it's like the longer that we're in churches, the more precise our list can get. I really think it should be the opposite. The longer you're in churches, the less concerned you should have about these little qualms that we have together. But just go, man, I I just want to do ministry. I'm in. But very often it becomes like, well, it needs to look like this, do like this, work like this, exist like this. And what do we forget? Let's go back. Let's think about our passages. We forget John 13. Love one another as I have loved you. And we Twisted it into love me so that I will love you. That's what it becomes. Love me so that I will love you. When we do that, you know who you're hurting? You know who I'm hurting when I do that? All of us. We're actually hurting everybody because we're opting ourselves out. So we take John 13 and we say, love me and then I'll love you. We take Ephesians 2. Which says, you used to be far, but you've been brought near. You've been made right with God. And you've been made right with one another. And you go, yeah, but some things are just too hard to overcome. Sorry, it's just how it is. I haven't found the passage just how it is yet in the New Testament, in the instruction of the church. I've been looking because it would be really, really helpful. But I haven't found it. And also this. This is the other thing. Think about our own culture. I mean, you can, you can throw a rock and find 15 churches in Spring, Texas. You've probably been to all of them. Like, if we just got together, go, where have you been? Where, where have you left? And we just created a big list. We have to remember that these are written to congregations where there wasn't some kind of proliferation of church life, where if you just got offended, you just go down the street to the church that had a little more precise of a doctrinal statement. Or a little more better way that they did communion, or a better way that they sang and worshipped, or they met at a better or more convenient time. Like those kinds of things that become our like alpha desires. That's that's not even in their brain. Like the church, the church uh, that was the author of the Hebrews was writing to was like, how do we stop from dying? <laughs> like, like like that was their thing. We kind of want to leave our faith because this whole dying thing isn't hasn't been so good for us. And we're like, man, it is warm in here. Like, I it, like, like, you know, the AC working. Like, that's that's like that. That's our thing. Like, a church has to have good kids ministry, good AC, and good this. That's fine. We want to have working AC. It's there. We want to have good kids ministry. But when we start to make things way down here, way up there, we're already missing. We say, I'm going to divide up over smaller things and not remember the work that Jesus has done for me. And what happens when we don't strive side by side? When we don't come in. We create terms for one another. That then results in whatever opponents to our faith that might exist. Whatever opponents are there. Having the last laugh in that regard. Paul ends the striving side by side by going, this is a clear sign to them. If you're living like this, of their destruction. Destruction. It is like the proverbial sticks and stones may break my bones. Like it's, it's just like when we are together with the Lord, striving side by side, remembering the gospel, helping one another to walk in truth, which is what our group work will be doing all, all semester. Like When we are committed to these things together, nothing can come at us that will cause us harm. When we are wayward, everything sounds like a good idea. There is no view in the New Testament of the Christian life that does not include first person plural pronouns. Second person plural. You all. Us. We need to. It is the expectation of Scripture that we are together. It is the expectation that we are together. It isn't an add-on that we step in, that we participate, that we learn, that we grow, that we open up our hearts. Now, we're not going to have open share right here. You can have that in your groups. You know, <laughs> I think I heard Zach laugh. I, hear somebody, I don't know if I heard somebody laugh. Yeah, Zach, would you mind sharing that thing we talked about this week? Just just right, right here in front of everybody. Uh, we didn't talk about anything this week. That's why it was safe. I um, had no conversation with Zach this week that would be embarrassing. Um, we aren't going to do that but it's very hard for us to go you know what I'm actually going to trust these people with my heart because I'm going to assume they have my best intentions in mind I'm going to assume that they want to work side by side with me and this is the harder part when I'm burned I'm not leaving when it doesn't go as I thought and I want to go taking that back forget you guys I'm out I'm actually going to stay. That's really hard. That's really hard. My favorite people when I pastored in Baton Rouge, not that you're not there yet, I just got to see it more because the church was 40 years old, were the people who had been through every pastor and been through every ministry decision, been through the things that they liked and the things that they didn't like, the structures they liked and the structures they didn't like, the whatever, the leadership that was good and the leadership that was bad. And I was on both sides of that. Hans, we're so glad you're here. Hans, we hate you. Like, I've been all those. But some of, the, some of the ones I have loved are honestly the ones whose funerals I've been doing or planning. Who stuck it out for decades because it was their family. And they would see a leadership change and they'd still stick it out because it was their family. I got a lot of back then, like, why don't you offer altar calls? Our church was planted back then by a guy who was like Billy Graham's right-hand man. So altar calls all day, every day. And man, were they effective. I think in my life in ministry, I may have done that five times. And I would get the, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you? And it was never done rudely. But they just embraced me. They took me as a, at that time, a 20-something idiot pastor. Now I'm a 40-something idiot pastor. Um, but it's this little I now. They took me. I love that. I love to see the striving side by side that happens over time, and what it forms, and the humility that it brings about when you strive with people and go, "We're in." Norm, you've done this well. I know you have seen you nodding some, but like you have been super effective at this in my mind because you were a part of faith. I think you're the last faith family here, and I remember talking to you about it, and you were like, "You know what? This is the Lord's church. Like, I don't. I'm in. Like, I'm here, and I'll do what I need to do, and I'll serve how I need to serve. Like, I, I don't. I don't feel the right." Or the need, because it's not happening maybe in some way that I want, to just peace. I'm in. This is my place. If you got to hear his testimony at Easter during baptism, you got to hear some of that progression of what God has done in his life. and uh, It's just awesome. We miss out on so many things when we make the Christian life about us. And we don't make it about the Lord. And then, hear me, secondarily. Lord here, then Secondarily. I make it about you and how I can serve you, how I can care about you, how I can support you, how I can pray for you, how I can be engaged with you. I'm a distant last. The Lord, you, somewhere down the line me. Because with God as our priority, he, again, changes us from the inside out and transforms us in how we live.